Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. So Mike and I did, in fact, watch the debate. Mike, did you watch it end to end? The pay-per-view cage match masquerading as a debate? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, – I got to tell you, the man, the man Trump brings good television to the front. Uh, it was uh, fiery. Uh, it was uh, fairly intense at parts. And um, there was, of course, Kasich doing his usual, do I have to be the only adult in the room now? Little children. Mommy uh, and daddy are fighting. Mommy yeah. and daddy are fighting. Please stop. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> that stuff drives me insane. Um, years and years ago, there was an old sitcom with Candace Bergen called Murphy Brown. I watched a couple of them. And uh, this is where that whole single mom debate came out with um, uh, the vice president uh, at the time, uh, Quayle. Anyway, um, the guys were having some intense debate about something that was actually quite important. Mm-hmm. And Candace Bergen's character was like, oh, why don't you all just whip out your penises and measure them on the table, right? And it was – that stuff – Trump I, might not have a problem with that actually, but <laughs> – No, and it's like you know, the fact that we're debating immigration might mean that you European ladies might have a slightly better New Year's. So it's really <laughs> frustrating to me when people say – um, well, forget about this important topic. It's all just, you know, we should just be nice to each other. And it's like, I don't, politics is not about being nice. Nope. You know, goodwill, okay. Charity, Salvation Army, maybe to some degree. This is not, politics is not about being nice. And nice po- politics is about fighting tooth and nail for um, what you believe in, for the most part, uh, not <laughs> pursued by politicians or what other people will be willing to accept uh, the lies. But but it's not nice. And this idea is like, I can't believe that people are fighting over the future of this country. And and it's like that if there's any place to fight, uh, then then the essential ideas and ideals should be that place. Uh, and it just kept getting interrupted, which was kind of annoying. Oh, the the women in Sweden and Germany probably wish there was a bit more vigorous debate around taking in tons of refugees as they're now experiencing a true rape culture. Um, yeah, so Kasich with his can't-we-all-just-get-along trope was pretty irritating. We get, we get it. You're uncomfortable in the alpha clash. I get it. <laughs> I get it. We, you know, you, you're just not comfortable, and you're trying to appeal to the cucks in the planet. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was annoying. Um, Jeb Bush. Oh, God. I mean, okay, if, if a small town needs a secretary for their accountants club, I could get behind this guy. The fact that he's blown through, what, $100 million plus uh-huh. um, to scrape in around fourth or fifth in various domains, man, that should tell you. I mean, with, with all the political experience in his family, like they say, oh, well, Trump inherited some money and so on. Yeah, like everyone who wins a lottery becomes $10 billion media media and real estate mogul. He inherited but, money in a company that he was working in since uh, <laughs> his late teens and developed and actually grew its value. So it wasn't just an outright gift, but yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, the guy um, uh, did uh, uh, inherit some money. But think of how much political capital uh, the Jeb Bush has inherited, right? His father was mm-hmm. president. His brother was president. His mother apparently is ageless and undead. Um, I'm sure they tried to bury her four times. <laughs> the hand comes out of the <laughs> the spanking hand, I might add. But um, I mean, how much political capital does this guy get? And he squandered it. And this all the son connections, of bitch, uh, you know, yeah. inroads with the all the donor lists. Oh, yeah, he is a highly controllable donor <laughs> puppet. And 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 oh my god, this eminent domain thing. I know we talked about it last time, so we don't want to do the Trump side of things, but. Jeb Bush, I mean, so not only did his family use eminent domain to build a stadium uh, in part of a football team, I think it was, that they were ownerships, uh, that had, had ownership of, but the guy also used eminent domain to strip 
owners uh, and and uh, property owners of over six hundred thousand trees, right? Because there was some I don't know plague or pestilence going through the citrus crop. This is when he was governor of Florida. When he was governor of Florida, he used eminent domain and threatened people with you know jail and fines if they didn't comply. Let people in. They just hacked down people's ancient trees and you know their gardens were left shredded and broken up i mean basically he's like a villain in lord of the rings you're just coming through and (laughs) cutting down the ants and uh, he used eminent domain for all of that and so and it didn't even stop naturally of course it didn't even stop the plague that was causing problems and now they've had to pay millions and millions of dollars in fines for people who've had legal problems with the fact that their property was just stripped from them without permission. So, I don't know. Hard to take the moral high ground on eminent domain when you oversaw the use of eminent domain to a larger extent than anything Donald Trump has ever done. That's uh, pretty precious. a lot of larger. (laughs) Uh, And at least Trump got something built. This guy just hacked down a bunch of trees. Not very environmentally friendly, I might add. And didn't even stop the disease that was the problem. So, oh my God. Just horrendous. Don't make fun of his family stuff. Don't. Don't say anything oh. mean about his family. He might, he, we might find okay, him crying first of in the all, corner. I hate the genetic self-praise. My family is magnificent. It's like, you, you know you're just praising yourself. <laughs> My father is fantastic. My father is the best man in the known universe in this or any other dimension, including Jesus probably. And my mother is the bravest woman and the most strongest woman. It's like, you know, you're just praising yourself. You're saying all these things about yourself. And why the hell when your father's been president, your brother's been president and your ancient grizzled mom is all over the campaign trail, can people not talk about your family? It seems if his family were monks, over in some Spanish mountain, okay, understand, leave the family out of it. But if they're all over politics and people are arguing the legacy of Obama and why did Obama come in because George Bush was so terrible towards, especially towards the end of his presidency with uh, cucking up the entire economy. Uh, so yes, um, given that uh, America is now and Europe is dealing with the aftermath of uh, various wars, uh, the, the, the Hillary-sponsored war in Libya, the um, uh, George um, a W. Bush uh, sponsored or initiated war in Iraq. The fact that the entire region's destabilized, people all spreading into Europe. Yeah, it seems like a pretty relevant thing to talk about. No, you can't attack my family. Hey, Jeb, I've got an idea for you. If you care about people's families, how about the half million or so Iraqi families or quarter million Iraqi families who are now missing a family member because of what your brother did? How about those families could be talked about a little bit? But no, don't touch my family. (laughs) And and no one... This unreality. (laughs) And no one has touched... His, uh, his own family with his wife, his criminal children, who if you want a, a rampant look at uh, criminal misgivings, please look up George W. Bush's children, which all three of them have had run-ins with the law that are pretty significant. Um, no one's talked about that, so we can't even you know, say you're going after my children or anything. He got upset that Trump had said, uh, pretty much relayed what Jeb had written in his immigration book on the first page about how immigration represents his wife and his family. And they got, ups, un, got upset at Trump previously for saying that, uh, yeah, you know, I can see how he'd be a little sympathetic to Mexicans, given that his wife is from Mexico and, you know, that type of thing. He was so upset about that. And now we're talking about the political dynasty aspect of his family and how dare you talk about their record or anything having to do with them. You know, his mother, she was the strongest person that... Uh, that he knew maybe he should have listened to her when she said that there's been enough Bushes in political office, been enough Bushes as president that Jeb shouldn't run, but uh, eh, didn't pay attention to that. You know, the um, 
The Bushes, by and large, seem to have gotten a fair amount of their family fortune going by supplying weapons to Adolf Hitler's growing Nazi movement in the 1930s. So um, I don't want to know. I don't necessarily want to go that far back in time. <laughs> but uh, they are, you know, a little bit on the um, New Jersey pinstripe suit side of, you know, all, all, all fortunes become honorable over time. But at the root of many people's fortunes are grave crimes. And uh, there are certainly some pretty untoward stuff uh, where the bushes got their start from and uh oh, oh. should we talk about how george w bush kept us all safe should should we talk about that now or should we wait till later <laughs> to go over that i don't know should should i pace myself <laughs> how much does people want to watch me visibly age during the course of this conversation no go ahead mike Let, let's hear a little bit about how uh, george bush's amazing uh, shield of self-righteousness uh, and uh, politically correct lack of racial profiling kept Americans safe. Okay, well, first off, this came up because in the debate, Jeb just can, multiple times kept saying, you know, George W. Bush, my brother, kept America safe. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this isn't even hard. Obviously, 9-11 happened on George W. Bush's watch. Okay, obviously it happened. So Trump brought that up as everyone sitting on their couch at home with a brain brought up themselves. And uh, here's some, some facts about it. Okay, so George W. Bush received a presidential daily briefing on August 6, 2001, in which he was warned, Bin Laden determined to strike in U.S. After he got that report, he went fishing. Okay, so... <laughs> then according to the book, uh, The 1% Doctrine, uh, Bush, after the briefing, told the CIA briefer, All right, you've covered your ass now. So, uh, very concerned <laughs> about this briefing. Um... Then, to be fair, to be fair, I do think the fish were biting that day. Oh, it's important to get so out there. So you got to weigh these things, man. <laughs> it's important to get out there. Where else is a president supposed to get food? I mean, if the weather man's breaks, it's eat. tough. You know. <laughs> All right, let's fast forward a bit to uh, an airline ticket agent that actually was the person to check in hijacker Mohammed Atta the morning of September 11th. Uh, he later said this, I looked up and asked them the standard questions. One guy was looking at me. It sent a chill through me. Something in my stomach churned. And subconsciously, I said to myself, if they don't look like Arab terrorists, nothing does. Then I gave myself a mental slap. In over 34 years, I had checked in thousands of Arab travelers. I had never thought this before. And I said to myself, that's not nice to think. They are just two Arab businessmen. And uh, the reason why this is important in the context of George W. Bush, as governor on racial profiling, he said, Arab Americans are racially profiled in what is called secret evidence. People are stopped, and we've got to do something about that. And he was very strong on racial profiling and considered it racism. So here you are with an airline ticket handler, someone who, you know, you kind of want to say something if they see something or they feel something. That's kind of the last line yeah. of defense, unless you have like severely bones. ninja stewardesses. But so go yeah, he gets to chill through his bones, and he doesn't say something. Why? Because he's afraid of being called a racist. And there's there's a long list of people who had you know racially profiled and then been penalized and lost their jobs in airline industries because of this. So you know, very similar to what happened in San Bernardino, you had neighbors who you know, oh gee, a lot of suspicious activity around those uh, that married couple there. But you know, oh, gee, we don't want to be called racist, so we don't want to say anything, so we're just going to shut our mouth. And oh look, lots of people dead, bloody on the floor. So here's another example of racial profiling, which of course George W. Bush was very strong against. Thanks. And then, of course, you know, he, he stuck to that by, uh, you know, attacking the wrong country, because all Arabs are like that. But that's a whole other point. 
Well, he didn't want to racially profile Saudi Arabia, for heaven's sakes. Oh, no. I mean, so 17 of the 19 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia, but it's in the region and they look similar and <laughs> some of them have a similar religion. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, um, if, if you don't want to narrow it down to a particular ethnicity focused on a geographical area where the attacks, say, originated, well, just go <laughs> nuke uh, Iraq and, and all's well. But then it'd be hard to sell them weapons stuff. That'd be a better... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that would be ironic. You know, uh, American conflicts around the world are like basically shells with American flags going both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the tragic uh, and, and horrifying uh, thing about it. Um, and this, you know, when, when Donald Trump said at the beginning, America doesn't like, I don't have time. America doesn't have time for political correctness. This is what we're talking about. I mean, when you just think about, um, of course, uh, knowing that the um, U.S. had meddled in um, Middle Eastern affairs for I don't know, 60, 70 years now, uh, and of course the deaths of millions uh, of Muslims around the world over that time. Okay, so you're kind of at war with the Middle East. So, of course, you've got to profile people who are coming in. And when you're specifically warned that bin Laden is determined to attack in the U.S., then you'd really want to put extra focus on Middle Eastern people because not a lot of guys in kilts in Al-Qaeda from what I've seen (laughs) from the training videos. Um, too much sand in the nads. I think that's a challenge, especially for, you know, the, um, the intact men. So oh, when you get the pat downs, it's very chafing. That's what I'm pointing out. <laughs> yeah, actually I find if I wear a kilt, I get far fewer pat downs, especially if I request them, but that's perhaps a topic for another time. <laughs> so if this, like just, this is, this is the little forks. These are the turning points in history that people need to be aware of. If this ticket agent had been encouraged to say, look, if you find some full of rage lunatic, from the Middle East, um, yeah, let's subject him to a little bit of additional questioning. Forget about the the old people from Des Moines traveling with their grandchildren. You know, focus on, you know, here's the profile and so on. If if that guy had been stopped, right, if the attack had been stopped, okay, no 9-11, immediately you've got 3,000 people still alive and, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of property still around. You're not going to get the Patriot Act. Uh, You're not going to need the Fed to print all this money to make up for uh, what was happening in Afghanistan and what was happening in Iraq as uh, the the 01 and 03 wars that started. You don't get a housing crash. Without a housing crash, you don't get the collapse of the economy that puts Obama in. Without Obama, you don't get the continued destabilization of the Middle East. You don't get uh, all of these people swarming into uh, Europe and and, um, undermining European civilization. Um, So this just decision, no racial profile, if you look at the dominoes that are put forward, uh, and, and, you know, you wouldn't have half a million to a million Iraqi dead. You would not have the rise of ISIS. The entire region mm-hmm. wouldn't have been destabilized. You wouldn't have Iran taking over vast sections of Iraq. You wouldn't have had probably a civil war in uh, Syria or in Libya. And so all of this, you know, one decision, no racial profiling leads to all of this stuff. Political correctness is mass murderous in, in, in ways that are really, it, it is a sort of, uh, it is a biological weapon in that it's delivered by raised eyebrows, highly hysterical and offended leftists. It is a bioweapon uh, and the, the effects of it, uh, you, you, beyond staggering. So instead of that being offensive, uh, Donald Trump calling George W. Bush a liar, that's what everyone was upset about at the debate. By everyone, I talk about the political establishment and all the donors in the audience with their, with their tickets upset that Marco Rubio and George W. Bush weren't doing better. Um. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's really annoying when people don't play nice uh, in an ugly game. 
just astonishing. Well, there's a lot of people that are very upset about, you know, the back and forth and how, uh, how much vitriol there was flowing. It was nice to see the thin veneer of nicety removed for once. I mean, this is what politics is. This, we're talking about morals. We're talking about uh, important things in the world. You know, this is life or death stuff in many ways, you know, smiling for someone who has a policy that's going to lead to your demise potentially. Yeah, you know, I don't exactly think that that's warranted. That's just fake and niceries. Um, but ba- back on the whole Donald Trump saying that George W. Bush n- lied regarding weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Lots of people were upset about that because, first off, the idea that that would be uttered on a Republican debate stage in a mainstream format, holy hell, <laughs> that's uh, th- that was something. That was something. Uh, there's certainly a lot of people that believe that, and, you know, they have reasons to believe that. Uh, I'll run through this. George W. Be- George w. Bush met a Palestinian delegation during the Israeli-Palestinian summit in Egypt, four months after the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq in 2003. The Palestinian foreign minister noted Bush said, I am driven with a mission from God. God would tell me, George, go and fight these terrorists in Afghanistan. And I did. And the God would tell me, George, go and end the tyranny in Iraq. And I did. And now again, I feel God's words coming to me. Go get the Palestinians their state, and get the Israelis their security, and get peace in the Middle East, and by God, I'm going to do it. Spoiler, he didn't do it. Um, so, God, God, is, God is pretty specific in his foreign policy recommendations. <laughs> that's, you know, that, that's quite surprising that he's, God is a neocon. Um, <laughs> That's not something I would really get from the New Testament. I'm not sure that Jesus would say, blow these people up uh, and irradiate these people and genetically destroy everyone in Fallujah uh, with your um, horrible weapons. God as a neocon is something that I was not sure most theologians would support, but it seems to be right there in George Bush's vacant, expansive head. Uh, So whether or not he outright lied and that they knew that there were not weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, he certainly lied about the degree of certainty they were in this, in that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And he presented it as 100% certainty. So, Well, not only were there weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, but Condoleezza Rice... <coughs> sorry, oh. I always have to do that. Uh, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Condoleezza Rice was, um, was saying that uh, we don't want the smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud. In mm-hmm. other words, not only were there weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, but Saddam Hussein had the technology to launch and land them in American cities. That was how the war was sold. And to my knowledge, there was absolutely no evidence, even remotely, to say that Saddam Hussein had nuclear weapons, intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of reaching American cities. And you just ran through the list of consequences that have come out of the invasion of Iraq and the Iraq war in totality. You know, if you're going to make claims like that, given the consequences that are likely to unfold, you better be pretty damn sure. And if you present it as sheer certain fact and it's not true, I'm comfortable calling that a lie. I absolutely am. You look at Donald Rumsfeld when he's questioned about where the weapons are. I think it was outside Tikrit. He's like, well, they're they're in the north and the... East, south, and and the west. <laughs> so apparently, somewhere on the planet, there are, and yeah, I mean, if if you're going to set events in motion that threaten the very survival of European civilization and uh, destroy the economy uh, and uh, maim and and kill hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, yeah, I think uh, I think being a little bit certain might be uh, 
might be helpful. And of course, and of course, the constant intimation that Saddam Hussein had something to do with 9-11, which Mm -hmm. he he emphatically and categorically did not by all the intelligence I've ever read. Uh, And so this constant tying together of Saddam Saddam Hussein and um, uh, Al-Qaeda and and 9-11, to the point where I think I can't remember the 30 or 40 or 50 percent of Americans thought that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11 and that's why the attack was going on. Good job, public school. Good job, media. I tell you, 03 was the last uh, time I ever had even the slightest respect for the mainstream media who just turned up to be bloodthirsty vampires of uh, infinite war um, pumping. Uh, it was just horrendous. Um, yeah, so this, all these lies were just uh, the, whole, the whole damn ruling class and media class colluded to create one of the most disastrous decisions in American history. And, and you can't talk about it nope. in a debate. Nope. With the brother of the guy who did it. Don't, don't pick up. Who's only running because his family has a political dynasty, essentially. It's not like and he's who, overflowing uh, with charisma. It's not like he's an engaging even, speaker. And who wouldn't even answer if it was a good or bad thing. It took him to like, go what, to a war. week to go back and forth and actually answer the question. It took him a week. <laughs> you know, you, you might want to have that one figured out by the time you're actually announcing your candidacy for president. It's kind of important. But well, now, and of course, because Trump said, don't go, he's the guy who can say, yeah, we shouldn't have gone. The other guys, you know, I mean, this is the thing. We, we talked about this before on the show, Mike. God, the, the really tough thing, like once you get a country embroiled in a war and once it has suffered, and again, the suffering in America is virtually nothing compared to the suffering that has gone on in the Middle East. But just looking at it from an American perspective, once you've got people's limbs blown off, once you've got people uh, in the ground, and you know, this, you know, a couple of thousand people dead directly in combat, but that's small relative to the number of people who've been maimed and injured just by being around the war, like in training accidents and so on. Yep. Tens of thousands of people have been killed or injured outside of direct combat. And um, the ripple effect out to families. Yeah. yeah. So once you get people to sacrifice that much, how do you tell them it was not only for nothing, it was for worse than nothing? Not only did you going over there not bring peace and stability and a free market democracy to the Middle East, which anybody who knows anything about history and genetics could tell you immediately was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But not only did you not achieve what the goal was, that you did not achieve the mission, you achieved really the exact opposite. Instead of stabilizing the Middle East, you've wildly destabilized the Middle East. Instead of keeping the West safe, you have now exposed the West to uh, further and greater dangers. Your sacrifice was not only for nothing, it was for whatever the opposite of achievement is. And, you know, there's not a good enough word in English, but I'm sure by the end of this election cycle we'll have one. But uh, it has been the complete opposite of everything that could be conceived of as successful relative to the goal. How do you say that to all the people? They're looking down and they say, I have no legs so that Europe could drown in migrants. Like what a complete nightmare to, be, to have to talk about. And I think Trump is really the only guy who can talk about it that frankly. Well, you could add this to a long list of things that the only reason it's even a topic of conversation is because Donald Trump's in the race and he's bringing up these uncomfortable truths. You know, we're talking about immigration. Why? Well, because Donald Trump brought up immigration. We're talking about immigrant and crime stats because Donald Trump brought them up. There's a whole gamut of things that, you know, are, oddly enough, are not being talked about by the people that are accepting millions and millions of dollars from lobbyists that directly benefit from mass immigration and other various policies. Funny how that works, that the only guy in the Republican uh, scene that's not taking money from these people is talking about the things that no one else dare talk about. I'm sure that's unrelated completely. I, you know. Yeah, when, when the hell do Americans have a venue or, or the basic 
or or any chance to talk about the disasters of America's Middle Eastern wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is bringing the war up to Republicans. It's like bringing up abortion with Democrats. You just you don't talk about it. You don't talk about the, 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 Certainly Hillary is really radical when it comes to abortion, like partial birth and all that kind of crap. But you can't bring that. But when do Americans get a chance to process arguably one of the greatest and most disastrous decisions uh, in in the last hundred years uh, of American history. When do people get to talk about that? Well, what was what was amazing in that debate was that topic came up. Yep. And uh, boy, talk about, you know, dad's a drunk, but we can't talk about it. You know, the elephant in the room kind of stuff that everyone's been ignoring uh, since the war was first launched like 16 years ago almost now. Two trillion dollars, and that's an underestimation relative to the total costs. I've I've heard four or five trillion dollars in the total mm-hmm. life costs of of this war. When the hell were Americans ever supposed to circle back and say, "Okay, time for a review, time for a postmortem on this war"? A postmortem on a government policy? How's the war on drugs working out? Oh wait, never mind. How's all that money in the climate change research working out? Oh wait, never mind. <laughs> circle back at a government policy? Yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, and and okay, so I think we've I could talk about that for a while, but well, there's two uh, other things on this I want to mention. Um, yeah, yeah, just around this specific point. There's some people saying, "Oh man, you know, he said that about George W. Bush. He's going to really cost himself Republican voters in the primary and Republican voters in the general." Uh, Donald Trump is running a general election campaign. If people haven't figured it out yet, you you really should uh, you know look into it. He is he is courting Democrats, the likes of which you can't imagine. I mean, he's going to win states that uh, no Republican has won since Reagan time. And, you know, that line, if there were Republicans, you know, George W. Bush is really unpopular. Look at look at his uh, public opinion polling. He's not looked at favorably, even amongst many Republicans. So the fact that, you know, oh, he said this line, now Republicans aren't going to vote for him. Well, for every Republican that's not going to vote for him, there's going to be Republicans or independents or libertarians that are going to go, holy hell, he had balls to say that. I can't believe he started this conversation that are going to vote for him. And I guarantee there's a bunch of Democrats that are going to say, oh, man, can you believe he actually said this as a Republican on a Republican debate stage? He's getting, like, you know, credit from people just for his bravado and guts that, uh, you know, no political candidate has seen in an eternity. And this goes to my second point. For all the people that for a long time said, oh man, how come you're not talking about Rand Paul? Uh, Rand Paul, and I know Rand Paul has suspended his presidential campaign, but this is the type of stuff that Rand Paul should have been doing if he wanted to be effective. You know, he could have made some waves and had this type of discussion, had these types of conversations, but instead he was courting black leftists, libertarians trying to get them... uh, involved in the political party, going after the Black Lives Matter crowd, which was a surefire losing bet. And uh, did he start any of these big discussions on national debate stage when he was up there? No. No, he really didn't. And that's the type of stuff that, uh, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, probably would have had a much different effect. So... Well, I don't know that uh, everyone's saying, oh, my gosh, it's so dangerous for Trump to criticize people like the Bushes and, and Lindsey Graham in South Carolina... Bullshit. Sorry. (laughs) Jeb has been in single digits in South Carolina for the last couple of months. Um, Spending how much, right? Yeah, Lindsey Graham uh, was in single digits in his own state (laughs) until he dropped out of the race. Um, I don't know. Just it's, it's, oh, South Carolina is an establishment stronghold. They are neoconservative war hawks and and so on. Um, Newt Gingrich won the state in 2012 despite the fact that – 
Romney uh, was pushing heavy into that state. So I don't know, just this received political wisdom, if any, like the entrance of Trump to me has decimated the role of the consultants and the people who say, well, I know for sure how you should approach this mm-hmm. because this guy's coming in from outside. He's only been a politician for what, nine months now or something like that. He's dominating the races. He's winning all over the place. A conventional wisdom is completely wrong, wrong. And all of the people giving everyone advice uh, is giving them the wrong advice because even when Trump says I'm doing really well or demonstrates that he's doing really well by talking about certain topics like um, immigration and the war and so on and jobs, well, everyone else still keeps shying away from these topics. And it's like, what is winning? Do what he's doing. <sighs> yes. Yes. Well, one person doesn't steer away from taking on Trump's opinions when they're popular, and that's Ted Cruz, who we haven't talked about a whole lot regarding this debate. Good old Ted. He broke into Spanish, right? <laughs> yes, he did. He did. I, I wasn't like, I didn't have like ear jangles or something <laughs> like that. Because yeah. didn't, didn't, uh, Rubio said, mm-hmm. you, you don't even speak Spanish. And yeah. uh, Cruz then broke into Spanish. Yeah, and, Cruz uh, reportedly heard Rubio give an interview on um, Univision, and uh, Rubio's retort to that, instead of rebutting that he actually didn't say the thing that uh, Cruz was claiming that he said, he said, oh, well, you don't even speak Spanish, so how would you know? You know, it's not like there's interpreters in 2016 or anything. But um, <laughs> so then Cruz just bursts into Spanish, which, you know, interesting strategy. <laughs> I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get all waspy here, <laughs> but... I'm not sure that the average guy, uh, man, woman who's interested in in Trump or even general conservative principles, I don't know that they really like – in a nationally televised presidential debate, I don't know that they really like getting Spanish lessons from an anchor baby and a Cubanadian. Uh, And that is – that is a real like I just I don't know. All, all it did was remind everyone uh, their their particular origins, and that of course leads to oh look they're both fluent in Spanish. I wonder how they feel about immigration, which then plays right back into Trump's strengths with with the average voter on this uh, side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Well, at least for this debate, Rubio.exe had a fresh install of whatever drive was uh, misconfigured for the last debate. And, uh, you know, he was able to spout his talking points in a very fluent fashion. And one of the most enjoyable for me uh, back and forth in the the proverbial cage match slash debate was Rubio and Cruz battling it out over honesty. And uh, (laughs) I've never been a big Rubio fan for a multitude of reasons. Um, But I got to say, him calling Ted Cruz out on just being a complete liar about oh so many subjects, uh, that was rather enjoyable to watch. Since then. <laughs> yes, since then. Quite since a few then. things have happened. <laughs> One, DJ Trump has, uh, I guess, done two things that are somewhat interesting. Um, the first is that he basically feels that the RNC has broken their pledge. So he had a pledge saying, look, you treat me fairly. I'm not going to run as a third candidate, independent candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes and now he's saying, You treat me fairly? I won't run third party? We sign this pledge? If you don't treat me fairly, uh, everything's on the table. And the fact that um, these debates, you know, the one thing that's that's important to understand for people and, and Trump, I didn't even know this, of course. And I, who the hell thinks about who's in the audience? Like, I don't watch I don't go to a movie checking out everyone around me. Ooh, <laughs> who's here? Right. Uh, and so when Trump and it was in the last debate, I think mm-hmm. uh, that uh, he first pointed out that the audience is stacked with donors. Right. Yep. So the question is, like, if Trump can fill a 10,000 seat arena, why the hell 
is it closed in the debate? Wouldn't like, you want to get more people involved in the political process, have the stakes show? I mean, you know, you think that would be common sense, and you could probably sell out a 15,000-seat stadium for this type of thing. I got to think. Easy. Raise some money for the party, raise some money maybe for charity, lots of things you can do. But instead, so, they book like a you know 1,600-seat venue and just hand out tickets to donors, and uh, then you get reactions where you know people are cheering Jeb Bush like he's uh, John Lennon in his prime. <laughs> right, right. And it, it is way like the cheers and boos are way out of proportion to the electorate. And what it does is it shows such an extraordinary level of contempt for the electorate, because what it says is, well, the guy you don't like is getting more cheers at the debate. So I'm sure your vote will switch. Like, uh-huh. oh, my God. How, oh, there's more cheering there. I'll go over there. I mean, <laughs> what are they like? What kind of mouth breathing, neck bearded morons do they think their voters are? There are louder noises there. I'm going there. I mean, oh, my God. Like, it's, it's truly mental. What an insult it is. They do far better. But, of course, if, if the actual audience was composed of people enthusiastic about the political process, then, you know, when Jeb would make a speech, he'd be like, yay, come from his mom. <laughs> people would and go when and- Trump made a speech, I mean, the, the place would erupt. And the, the sense of the momentum that Trump has would then be more evident to people, mm-hmm. whereas this way they're really pushing against – the electorate's desires. And all it does is drive people out to go vote for who won the, who won the election for Trump. I mean, it, it, it really is showing just how disconnected the RNC has got from their base. Yeah, you know, if everyone went to the concession stand when Jeb Bush started to talk, you know, that wouldn't exactly look good for the establishment candidate. This, I mean, you have an entire audience booing Donald Trump. You have candidates going after Donald Trump. You do understand that somehow your stupidity has turned a guy with $10 billion, 43 years of media experience, into an underdog on that debate stage where everyone's going after him. Could you could you be more incompetent in trying to achieve your goal of taking the man down than to make him appear to be the ultimate underdog fighting back against the entire party, everyone on the debate stage, the entire audience. There's probably a guy selling hot dogs in the third row that took a swing at Trump during the commercial break. It's uh, <laughs> just from a human psychology standpoint, they paint the guy as an ultimate underdog and then they're shocked when he rises in the polls. Come on. Come on, are you that stupid? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, um, they're fighting for their lives, right? If, if Trump wins, there's an entire cl- – I mean, this is what's so important for people to understand, is that if Trump wins, there is an entire class of politicos and consultants and politicians and hangers-on and, and everyone who's given advice and all the people who get those plum K Street jobs, the lobbyists and so on, they're out of a job. Mm-hmm. Like if Trump wins without – being bought and paid for by special interest groups, all of those people, this is an entire multi-billion dollar industry, they're all out of a job. They're, I mean, they're fighting for their lives. If he wins, they're done. So they've got to do stupid stuff to try and stop him because if they do smart stuff, they'll support him. And then they're out of a job. Nobody works that hard to put themselves out of a job. <laughs> Other people got to come in and, and put themselves out of a job and put, uh, put those people out of a job. You know, like the, guy, the guys who make the, the horse and carriage equipment, they're not the guys working really hard to develop the car. You know, it's, uh, someone else has got to come in and push them out of a job. So I kind of get where they're going from. Like, what choice do they really have? They've got to try and put him down and they can't put him down in any rational way. So they've got to do stupid little tricks, which exposes how terrible they are. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're hoping to have him run as a third party candidate and push him away and all that. But uh, I think if that would have happened, there would just be an open revolt, revolt uh, in the uh, in the Republican Party. I mean, he is uh, the, the last hope that the Republicans uh, have uh, for anything that they want to achieve after the failure uh, and and 
co-opting of the Tea Party candidates into the usual snout in the trough, Washington um, blood swilled taxpayer trough of infinite feeding. It's Trump or bust, and uh, if they push him out, um, I think they might be surprised at what comes after that. Oh, God, to, to show how hungry people are for an anti-establishment candidate, I mean, Ben Carson is still polling relatively well, you know, comparatively to uh, all the people that have dropped out in many places, and uh, I, Ben Carson. <laughs> I, I'm now, Mike, a great neurosurgeon. Uh, I, <laughs> Mike, I'd, I'd really like to thank you for finally giving me an opportunity to say something in this conversation. Uh, <laughs> thanks. You know, you know, Ben, that didn't work the last 14 times you said it in debates. Could you actually maybe say something of note so that you're not you know, trailing in the polls so people actually want you to be asked a question? <laughs> I mean, you're a free market guy. At this point, the general electorate doesn't care at all what you think. I mean, at least Jeb Bush has donors that care what he thinks. They don't even have that comparatively. So. Could, could we have a commander in chief in charge of the nukes who's also really whiny? <laughs> he, he'll be the pa- more passive the aggression JP. for presidents yes yeah. passive ag- passive aggressive president I y- mean, you, know, you know i think america should try a passive aggressive black man as the president of the united states wouldn't that be a wonderful idea that's that's <laughs> diversity for you uh, enough decisive people i just you know I, I can just see him at nato like at meetings you know well, thanks. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to finally weigh in on this situation. I mean, I really feel like I've been waiting for a long time, and you guys could have called on me earlier. <laughs> man, oh man. I'm not a politician, and I armed. haven't done much in the way of research in this area, but it's taken you a while to call on me, and I'm, I'm kind of upset about that. Go to BenCarson.com and send me money, please. Please. <laughs> hey, man's got to grow his email list. <laughs> One of the things that I also – what I did like about Ben Carson, though, was him basically saying, yeah, it's great to see everyone on the stage pretending that they're military experts. They're not, and neither am I. <laughs> that is so true. That, I mean, you know, I mean, the fact that it's like, okay, healthcare, go. How would you solve the profound crisis in American healthcare? And how would you promote world stability? And what would you do with the military? And what would you do with this? And it's like – Oh, come on. You, you can maybe be good at one or two things in your life. Maybe if you work really, really hard. But this idea that these guys are just genius disco balls, you know, okay, explain to me how the gravity waves recently discovered by physicists validates Newton's theory of uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. Go. <laughs> and it's like, okay, now explain to me quantum mechanics. Okay. Explain to me the price earnings ratio of, of price waterhouse. It's like, well, Stuff. to be I fair, guess, Rubio's probably got 20 seconds on it that he could spout off about how, uh, <laughs> Carefully manicured 20 seconds. I just want to know how much internet bandwidth and YouTube storage space is taken up by people doing remixes of his 20-second speech. I've got to assume it's quite a lot. I mean, if I got remixed uh, doing Mike Brown's rap sheet, uh, rap <laughs> lyrics uh, during the Ferguson video, I'm sure that people have done quite a few number of uh, Ruby Obiots 2.0 kind of stuff. All right. Well, we got pulled a little bit from Ted Cruz in, in the latest what? happenings between. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> We've cruised away from Cruz. Um, well, Trump came out today and um, has said this. He's a liar, referring to Cruz. Now he'll apologize, but I don't want an apology after the election. I want it before. And if he doesn't, I'm going to bring a lawsuit because, in my opinion, based on what I've learned over the last few days from very top lawyers, he doesn't even have the right to serve as president or even run as president. He was born in Canada. So now Trump has given Cruz a deadline to either apologize for his false statements, which we'll get into the false statements in a second, or he's going to file the suit to have him removed from the ballots because he's not a natural-born citizen. And uh, by that... um, 
by that fact, he's not allowed to be on the ballots or run for president. So, wow. Now we know what people are going to be talking about until the election, about how Ted Cruz is a liar. Whether or not this lawsuit ever gets filed, just, I mean, just brilliant politics, you have to say. <laughs> well, didn't, I mean, I don't know if you've confirmed this or not, but but Trump said, you know, so for those who don't know, um, the story goes that um, uh, Cruz, uh, Cruz's people told a whole bunch of people in the last um, uh, general, or in the last uh, caucus election, that um, I, Ben Carson was dropping out of the race. Mm-hmm. And so, and to give your votes to Cruz, basically, and and it was not true. All he did was taking a day or two off, right? And apparently, he's just dropping out of it. So, Ted Cruz went to like in the next debate. He said, "Ben, I'm sorry." You know, like he sounds like a Looney Tunes character trying to master Shakespeare. But uh, he said, "Ben, I'm I'm sorry." And you would assume, as an apology, that. You know, somewhat implicit in apology is not doing it again. You know, <laughs> like if I punch someone and say sorry and punch them again and say sorry and punch them again and say sorry and punch, well, you get the idea. But Trump was saying that the same thing happened again, that robocalls were coming out saying that Donald Trump is not going to be in the race and, and you here's, should vote for Cruz. Here's the deal on that. Okay, there's a poll conducted by a place identifying themselves as Remington Research. Um, it's saying – it's these polls, they essentially like – can you believe that Rubio supports this really bad thing? Would you vote for him for supporting this really bad thing? You know, it's like essentially planting poison pills in uh, <laughs> activist polling. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, Remington Research is a consulting firm that was started by uh, Ted Cruz's campaign manager, Jeff Rowe. Now, the, um, Cruz's director of research, Chris Wilson, says, we're not doing any robo-polls in South Carolina. It's not us making those calls. Anyone can make those calls as Remington Research to screw with reporters and make Jeff looks like he's doing something. So someone is doing push-polls that are identified as Remington Research, and you don't know if it's Cruz doing them or if it's uh, you know Cruz's campaign guy's company or if it's someone else identifying them as Cruz's campaign's company. The Washington Post has put out something tying it to Cruz and Remington Research, but it's still, you know, it's not like it's 100% or anything, but, you know, with Cruz, it seems where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a whole lot of these random coincidences and things where it's like, oh, gee golly, you know, we'd give you the benefit of the doubt if there wasn't 800 examples of these little uh, political tricks and lies coming from your campaign. So this is one of the things on the list that um, both Trump and Rubio, who were um, criticized strongly in these push polls, are uh, upset about. And this is something else. Ted Cruz went on Meet the Press on Sunday and said, if Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders wins, or for that matter, if Donald Trump wins, whose record is indistinguishable from them on a great many of issues, then we will see the Second Amendment written out of the Constitution. Donald Trump wants the Second Amendment written out of the Constitution. I don't know that that's a policy paper on his website, or that's a statement that he's ever made. Matter of fact, I know that's a statement he's never made before. I think way back when there was some uh, verbiage around like an assault weapon ban where he gave it some lip service or whatnot. But, uh, you know, when it comes to abolishing the Second Amendment, having it written out of the Constitution, you don't get a bigger lie than that. And he said it Sunday on Meet the Press. And this is... This is towards Donald Trump, the same guy who was taking lots of heat in the media um, in the event of the terrorist attacks in Paris, saying, you know, if, if the people in Paris had guns themselves, if they were allowed to carry, there'd be bullets going the other direction. I don't think you'd have 130-plus people killed or wounded. And, uh, you know, took a lot of heat for that. 
And he's been saying lots of things about the Second Amendment and how he wants to strengthen it. And just to say he's going to write it out of the Constitution and he's indistinguishable from Bernie Sanders on the Second Amendment. I mean, come on, for Pete's sakes. I mean, that's just, that's absurd. And, you know, this is a guy who uh, Trump has noted, and lots of other people have noted it too, holds the Bible up in one hand, waves it around, plays the Jesus card, and then is lying or uh, saying things that can be proven to be factually untrue you know, at the same time. You know, with Cruz, I always get the feel like he's about to tell me to put my hand on the television and pray to Jesus and then donate to his website. But, uh, you know, you, you might want to actually follow some of the values of the religion that you claim to hold so strongly, you know, like not lying. A couple, of, uh, <laughs> a couple of thou shalt not bear false, wit- false witnesses <laughs> might not go amiss. Because you know. Trump also claims that he packs, right? I mean, so he's packing heat. And so the idea that he would dump the First Amendment, uh, sorry, the Second Amendment, when uh, he himself uh, carries weapons would be a little less than, you know, Obama, sure, you know. Hasn't uh, handled a gun since he had within a water pistol fight at the age of seven. But uh, I think Trump is not in that category of people who avoid guns. Yeah, he's one of the few people that actually has a license to concealed carry in New York City. And, uh, you know, he's been a member of the NRA and he's talked about a lot of favorable gun legislation that, uh, you know, gun rights people are excited about. So, I don't know. Just pulling that out of left field. I mean, there's things you can criticize Trump on. You know, I mean, eminent domain and that type of stuff is pretty low on the list. But if you're just making shit up, Come on. Don't expect to be well, Again, that's – what happens, of course, is um, – I don't know if these people know about this little thing called the internet. But <laughs> when you make claims like that, um, you know, comments start immediately filling in. That's not true. Here's the proof and so on. The vetting is no longer a slow, laborious process that, that it comes out a week and a half in a sort of section <laughs> of the newspaper under errors and omissions, which sometimes seems to be half the entire New York Times. But uh, the vetting is like immediate. And all you're saying is saying two things. Number one, uh, you are saying things that aren't true. And number two, this is the best you got. Mm-hmm. Like if the best you've got is things that are easily unproven, then you don't have anything good to criticize the guy on. And it's actually kind of a tacit endorsement. Yep. Uh, next on the list for Cruz is he just recently was talking about abortion and saying if Trump is elected, it's essentially going to be open seat season on abortion, late-term abortions, the whole ball of wax. And, you know, he's going to appoint all these liberal judges to the Supreme Court, which is now a bit more of an issue than it was even a week ago. And, you know, it's just like, yes, we know he changed his abortion position. It's odd that Donald Trump, when he changes his position on something, A, he acknowledges that he changed his position on it. B, he's got a reason explaining why he changed his position on it. Whereas when Ted Cruz changes his mind on something, he doesn't admit that he ever had a previous position that was otherwise. And he's such a skilled rhetorician as a lawyer that he's able to mince his words over the course of a decade. So it sounds plausible in some way. And you could maybe argue it, even though his statements, when put next to each other on a timeline, I look really, really, really dishonest. And I suggest that people go and read uh, The Real Ted Cruz, which is an article for Slate.com, which has a full timeline of his uh, immigration comments. And it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, like, I'm almost in awe of how gifted Ted Cruz is against actually taking a position when it's politically non-expedient for him to take a position. He's able to wiggle word enough to where it's like, well, he could go this way or this way, just depending on, uh, you know, how things slide. It's really, um, it's impressive. Oh my God, it's scary as hell. <laughs> you have someone you that's spin that me right round, baby, <laughs> right? No, but Mike, see, here's the thing. This is, you know, this is in Ted Cruz's defense. It is, it is very, very hard to be an n-dimensional triple agent. And I don't think that you and I can really understand how difficult it is to seem to be working for people 
on a particular position, but to be working against them with the opposite underbelly of working for them while against them, but for them. Now, Ted Cruz can handle that kind of complexity, which is why it's hard for us mere mortals to understand his positions because they are N-dimensional Mobius strips of highly complex triple agent complexity. So um, it is basically like if you can't follow him, just defer to him because he's clearly that smart. And, uh, you know, I'm sure many people will be willing to do that. Yeah, and in Cruz's defense, too, I will say, there are things that he gets accused of lying about or changing his position on, which he absolutely hasn't. Ethanol and gun rights being two of the main ones. Harry Reid put out a a thing claiming that Cruz had flip-flop on gun rights and uh, um, all that years ago, and that that's complete nonsense. So you can go check out our Truth About Ted Cruz presentation for more on that. But there are significant things that Cruz has either, you know, minced his words on, treaded very carefully to not take a position about which you know it's politics you expect people to do that kind of thing but like the the vitriol in which he throws at people for you know being inconsistent when he himself is uh you know been relatively inconsistent in not taking a position while claiming he had strongly taken a position for certain years or you know making statements that are incredibly confusing if you're not aware of his secret plan and then asking him about those years later and he's like i cannot believe you would dare insinuate that i believe this thing that i was saying with strong confidence at the floor of the senate like you know come on ted come on i don't want to be a mind reader here i'd uh i'd like to take you at face value but it's clear that cannot be done so yeah now we have a showdown and a deadline um we're Donald Trump has threatened a lawsuit if Ted Cruz doesn't come out, apologize, and retract his statements. And, you know, it's not like Donald Trump threatens lawsuits indiscriminately. This is the man that (laughs) sued Bill Maher for claiming that he would donate money to a charity if Donald Trump could prove that he was not um, (laughs) the spawn of an orangutan. (laughs) And um, I think the orangutan also sued as well, to be fair. And Trump produced his birth certificate to Bill Maher and then uh, sued Bill Maher when he wouldn't follow up on donating to charity, which, you know, it's legal trolling, but uh, it's also kind of hilarious, frankly, I gotta say. Well, he also sued Univision for, what, half a billion dollars for which breach of contract? that case was to... just settled and, you know, those results oh, yeah? are sealed, so we don't know what happened. But, uh, you know, to what extent Univision is now paying for the Donald Trump campaign, uh, you know, they might might have something to do with it. Did the same thing with NBC. They settled out of court. And he uh, he ended up uh, selling his ownership in the Miss Universe pageant. Uh, he got 100% of it from NBC, who was the other 50% partner, and then he sold it immediately to someone else. Unquestionably, I gotta imagine he made a bit of a profit on it and probably using that money to fund his campaign as well. So, man's not an idiot. And now we have a showdown where the only thing the media is going to be talking about over the course of the next several days is, uh, oh, Ted Cruz, he's... Donald Trump might sue him for lying. Well, what did he lie about? Here's all these statements that Ted Cruz lied about. Let's say Ted Cruz and liar in the same sentence more times over and over and over until people just associate Ted Cruz with lying, which, based on empirical evidence, does seem to be the case. But, you know, from a sheer politics standpoint, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. It's low-energy Jeb Bush. It's Marco Rubio the robot. I mean, this is... uh, People might want to pay attention to this stuff if they have any desire of entering politics. Because he is ungodly effective at branding people with these terms. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with the average voter, this stuff works. Well, and, you know, as far as I know, 
he was not the first to go negative. Uh, he was hoping nope. that there'd be a little bit more of a high road. But I guess when he started to succeed and they didn't have good arguments against him and were unwilling to adopt his positions, because that's really the challenge in um, politics, is that if someone is succeeding by putting forward positions that you have either avoided or repudiated, like immigration uh, or whatever, then you can either change and follow this person, in which case you're an also-ran flip-flopper, uh, who's trying uh-huh. to catch up, which won't work. Or, you know, you've got to oppose his positions, which they still seem to be kind of doing, uh, which is not going to work out that well. Like 66% of those polled coming out of the caucus uh, on the Republican side said that they were very much in favor of the um, the ban on Muslim immigration. Uh, and, um, I, you know, my personal belief, as I've mentioned, is that this is a precursor to people saying, that's racist, you can't just ban Muslim immigration, to which he'll say, okay, let's just ban all immigration for a while and to see how that works, uh, which, uh, you know, blacks and Hispanics should love because it will mean that there'll be fewer people competing for those jobs and standard of living should go up and all of that. But uh, what are you going to do in politics if the guy who is taking on positions you've repudiated or avoided uh, is, is tearing up the place All you can do is go negative because Mm -hmm. you can't catch up uh, and you can't change your own position because otherwise you're flip-flopping. Plus, of course, you've got donor money for your positions. And if you flip-flop them, the donors are going to eat you alive. So um, it's, you know, it kind of has to go negative. One of the reasons that Trump is still going after Jeb Bush, despite the fact that Jeb Bush is polling so badly, is because he's taken out an absurd amount of money. I think it was $20 million over like the last several months in negative ads just directed towards Trump. You know, so it's like, well, if you're going to spend that much money... Uh, negatively attacking me, I'm going to hit back. You know, you're yeah, not going to get free that's what shots. He's always said, "Yeah, you're yeah, not going to get free said, shots." I, I'm sure he's read. You know, that treat people the best you can, and after that, treat them mm-hmm. like the first time you meet people, treat them the best you can, and after that, treat them the way they treat you. That's the most successful strategy. And uh, he is, you know, in his own way, I really genuinely believe that he is trying to elevate the discourse a little bit away from this. Uh, Trump ate my baby. Trump was a dingo in Australia. You know, like, I, I think he's trying to say, let's get back to the issues and stop all this lying and stop all of this, these attack ads and so on. Um, and this is his way of attempting to elevate the discourse. Uh, and um, he actually pulled, you know, his, trying to uh, elevate the discourse in American politics is, uh, I don't know, like trying to bring ballet to the strip club. But, you know, <laughs> maybe it'll work. Trump actually pulled his negative attack ads on Cruz um, before the debate saying, like, you know, let's just go positive. I don't want to do more of this. And then, you know, then <laughs> Cruz did what he did. He said, ah, put him back up, <laughs> put him back up. Worth and, a try. And Cruz and Trump had a bit of a bromance there for a while as, uh, you know, Cruz was one of the few people that wouldn't vociferously attack Trump at a given moment. Carson was the other one. Um, Carson and Trump started going at it when um, Carson started to rise and actually was beating Trump in Iowa for a brief period of time. And then Trump baited him with uh, talking about how he's kind of low energy and doesn't have the vim and vigor and and then uh, Carson walked into it and pushed back, said, no, I got vim and vigor. I once hit my mom on the head with a hammer. <laughs> he, there's I actually there's, guy to death. There's actually the interview where they ask him about the comments that Trump has recently made about him. And he, he defends it by saying, I once, you know, when I was, I was really angry when I was younger and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's unquestionably the guy that's done 16-hour neurosurgeries, has great stamina. But he walked into this, you know, low energy thing. And just open up the entire discussion about, you know, hey, did you know that Ben, Cru- or, uh, ben Carson has uh, claimed to hit his 
mother in the head with a hammer and, you know, stabbed a guy in a belt buckle in this kind of weirdly implausible situation. And then let's look more into Ben Carson. And, oh, he claims that he was failing an exam in college, but then he had a dream and Jesus gave him the test answers. Yes, he actually claimed this. Look at the truth about Ben Carson for more on this situation. And then Ben Carson just immediately imploded. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) if I understand it, Ben Carson's synapses formed the following game plan. Something like this. And people can go to, but we've done a presentation, um, The Truth About Ben Carson, which you link to below. This is Ben, in Ben Carson's brain, this is a good plan. Okay. Dr. Carson, <laughs> Donald Trump says that you're kind of low energy, kind of, you know, sleep inducing and so on. And Ben Carson's response is, I'm Ben Carson. I have two modes, kind of sleepy and murderous. Do you want to put me in a really high stress job for a lot of time and see which one wins? <laughs> How could I, that be a good strategy? I have pathological anger. <laughs> but I've pushed it down for the last 40 years. <laughs> Want to give me some new clear codes? Let's flip a coin. <laughs> oh, that'll work good. Who's My previous job. Today? Who's coming out today? Who's coming out today? <laughs> My previous job was cutting into human flesh. My next job. <laughs> Sublimated sociopathy for the win. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So I guess and then, well, um, and then, and then Cruz um, and Trump had the bromance going on, and then Iowa was must win for Cruz. He spent so much money in Iowa that as it got closer and closer, and they jossied back and forth in the polls, and um, you know, and Cruz at the end went full negative on Trump because he's got to win Iowa. Spent so much time, energy, and effort in Iowa. If he didn't win Iowa, that was going to be a big problem for him. So. And as evidenced by the other stuff he did with, like, that voter violation mailer and other stuff, it just showed his desperation regarding wanting to win Iowa. Um, he went negative on Trump, and if you go negative on Trump, Trump's going to go negative on you. And, uh, well, people can be the judge as to who's got the better of that exchange, but we're going to see what happens and if uh, Ted Cruz is going to have a lawsuit filed against him by Donald Trump, who most definitely has standing to pursue the question of if Cruz is a natural-born citizen or not. So... Interesting yeah, times. Uh, and, and look, at one point we will, you know, promise to you viewers uh, and listeners that we will, in fact, um, report on a Democrat debate. Um, Please don't make we, me we watch will. another Democrat no, debate. Will. Please Come don't. On. There's not Come even on. O'Malley up there to, like, you know, give you a respite from socialism to war on women, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll. Hillary Clinton style lying. There's really, I don't know. <laughs> We're going to do, we'll do Cuck versus Cankles at some point, but... <laughs> Right now, um, this is just – it's just more fun. Um, Sorry. And I just wanted to mention this, which I thought was one of the funniest comments I saw on the internet. I don't even know why. I just (laughs) – this is like – this is a woman who posted and said, I think the next debate should have Vince McMahon as the moderator. And instead of a time is up bell, Stone Cold Steve Austin should cold cock them with a folding chair. I just thought that was really funny. And and, and underneath she wrote, oh, a girl can dream. There's a lot of people that are totally pearl-clutching about, they were really going after each other in this debate, and this is terrible, the thin veneer of civility is... Yeah! You know, this is what politics is, folks. This is what it is. You're finally getting an honest representation of what politics is. It's a dirty, disgusting, vile game, and it played out on television for everyone to watch, and... I don't know. It was kind of entertaining. Imagine, imagine if politicians had had these kinds of debates about the Iraq war. There might not have been an Iraq war and everything that happened after that. Give me the yep. messy conversations up front rather than the wars after the fact. You know, that's what um, 
Paul Joseph Watson was talking about with regards to Europe. You can mm-hmm. suppress these conversations about migrants, and all that's going to happen is you're going to get gangs erupting in the street with pitched battles and broken bottles. Uh, I'd rather have these messy, ugly conversations up front. And the fact that there's a crack in the American discourse to talk about the Iraq war opened up by Trump – God, I mean, yes, now they have to report on it. Now people are going to put con- – it's actually – you know, it's a crack in the newspeak. You can actually mm-hmm. talk about this. So so what's coming up next? Uh, next is um – Well, the next thing for the Republicans is Saturday, February 20th. There is the South Carolina primary. So that's also Ted Cruz's deadline to, with- to withdraw his claims or face Donald Trump's wrath in the courtroom. So that's, that's the next thing for the Republicans. And uh, the Democrats go to South Carolina on February 27th for their South Carolina primary, but they have Nevada up next, which I believe is this weekend as well. might be early in the week. So Cruz's choice is, yes, I'm a vile liar, or maybe I'm not eligible to run for president. (laughs) 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 The man wrote the art of the deal. (laughs) Do not... You know, if I limber up a little, me and Superman can go head to head, and I'll be fine. (laughs) You know, it's not a matter of stretching. You know, it's not a matter of whether you can... (laughs) Hit him with an elbow. If the Ted, man wrote the art of the deal. If Ted Cruz wrote a manual like the art of the deal explaining his strategy with his double secret plans regarding immigration as a senator, I might, you know, take what he says with a bit more um, truth value. But the people that hate Donald Trump, you have to read the art of the deal just to understand what the hell is happening. For those that haven't read the art of the deal yet, I don't even know what you're doing. This is the biggest political movement to happen in America in a long, long time. I'd even say it eclipses Obama. Um, this, This is a big deal, and Donald Trump is changing the game in a way that no one else has done in a long time. And to understand why and how he's doing, read it in his own words in the art of the deal. It's not even long. It's not even long. Uh, you may not want to give Donald Trump royalties. There's excerpts of important sections of it online. Find a way to read this. Go to a library. It's pretty important, and you might learn a thing or two, which, you know, pretty useful if you want to communicate ideas to people. It is the biggest uh, change in American politics since the Civil War, I would argue. Um, I, I, and it is really an, an astounding thing to watch. The last thing I wanted to mention, too, is that Do- Trump is not just – it's not just a job interview. It's an audition. <laughs> Right. No, this is this is important for people to understand. I, I'm sure you do, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you hire a guy for a, a coding job, you don't ask him to, to code in front of you. Now, you hire someone for a singing job, you're going to ask them to sing so you can hear they sound or whatever. So he's not just doing a job interview like here's my resume and here's some speeches. People want to know that. Donald Trump is going to fight entrenched special interests to open up opportunities for the poor and the middle class. That's that's when they're hoping that he's going to fight entrenched mm-hmm. interests even overseas, that he's going to negotiate hard on the behalf of the folks and behalf of the people. And that's what they want. And that's what he's doing. And that's why he's doing it as well, is that he is auditioning. He's saying, look, you want you, you don't think I'm going to fight for what I believe in? Watch me with these guys who are way more experienced. They're all lawyers. They've been doing it forever. They've got the support of everyone. They've got um, tons of money in their war chest. I know he does too, but it's his money, which is a little different. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, look, here's how I'm going to fight for the folks. It's not just a job interview like here's my resume and here's some speeches. He is live action showing how he is going to combat uh, to, to get what he thinks is right done. Yeah, and Fox that's News a gave him a really bad deal for that last Fox debate. They put out that snarky press release, which was just embarrassing to come from a news agency. I mean, even current news agencies, that was embarrassing even by the standard of modern news. And he just said, you know what? No, I know a bad deal when I see it. I'm walking away. I'm doing something else. Yep. You know, and uh, people, oh, it's going to hurt his campaign. It's all that. It's like, hey, 
if there's a bad deal on the table for America, he's going to walk away. He's going to walk away and find some leverage in it. Well, the hidden thing with that, too, is that that, um, of course, the the Iowa that came after that debate, uh, the fact that Ted Cruz um, may have gained some advantage from Trump not going to that debate meant that Ted Cruz ended up doing some pretty questionable and dicey stuff with regards to these mail-outs and with regards to, to his campaign saying that Carson was leaving the race. Well, we didn't uh, so do a video making... on it, but Cruz got eviscerated in that debate. He was, the, he was the guy at center stage, and everyone was gunning for him, and he took – it was probably his worst debate performance, and even Cruz supporters, uh, there's many of whom who've said, like, yeah, he didn't do particularly well in that debate, so – him being center stage without Donald Trump to suck up all the oxygen in the room, it didn't go particularly well. So maybe Trump benefited a bit from that as well. We don't know. He lost Iowa, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the, all the weird things that happened around that, who knows what would have happened. But we know he won New he may Hampshire have won in overwhelming yeah. fashion. He may have won Iowa in the long run in that uh, Cruz did some pretty questionable things to, to clinch his victory. So. And he's up 20 so, points okay. in South Carolina. So that's where things currently stand. And let us, uh, you know, we're going to talk about this stuff either way, so we might, <laughs> might yeah. as well put it out as a public <laughs> conversation. But as always, you know, give us thoughts, feedback, comments, questions, issues uh, in the comments. We will uh, have a look at them and, you know, refine to to focus on stuff that you guys are the most interested in. And um, so, uh, yeah, as always, thanks, Mike. Uh, a, a great chat. Uh, let us know what you think, people. We, just, we didn't yes. talk much about Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia. And this, uh, that's consciously, we're going to be doing a video on that subject in the very near future. So we're just, we're aware we didn't touch on that. It's a huge story. That's coming soon. So thanks for listening, everyone. Absolutely. All right. Uh, and freedomainradio.com slash donate uh, to help us out with the show. Uh, we really appreciate that as well. And uh, have yourself a great night. We look forward to your feedback. <laughs>